When hardships and difficulties come, it's quite a natural response to ask the question, why? Why has this tragedy happened to me? Why am I going through this now? What is God accomplishing through this hardship? Life is complex. There are many reasons why God allows certain difficulties and events to come into our lives. Not any one answer is exhaustive of what God has intentioned as an outcome to the situations of life that we're going through. However, there is one universal answer that is always true, always applicable to any given situation, if it is in the life of one who has dedicated his or her life to the honor and glory of God. Why has this happened? Well, we can universally say to further the gospel of Christ. What we have a tendency to view as life tragedies are often used by God as a means of furthering the gospel. So our thought is this morning, how do the tragedies and difficulties of life serve to further the gospel? We learn the answer to that question by considering the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 1.12, he said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's referring to his imprisonment. Paul's imprisonment and the circumstances around it actually served to spread the gospel and not deter it. So how would Paul's imprisonment and the circumstances around it serve to spread the gospel? Or, a corollary, how can life's tragedies that we experience be a means of God furthering the gospel? Well, to answer that question, first, I think we need some background to the church at Philippi to understand the significance of this particular thought. There was a remarkable incident that took place in Philippi during the founding of the church. It involved events associated with Paul's imprisonment at Philippi. So listen to this account from Acts chapter 16 concerning Paul's imprisonment while he was at Philippi. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. That's where I get my title from, where the chains fell off. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do no harm for yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your house. And he took him that same night, that same hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So this miraculous event was very fundamental in the spread of the gospel 
and the founding of the church at Philippi. The chains fell off. And as a result, this Philippian jailer came to place his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But now the circumstances are quite different. Paul is once again in prison, but this time the chains don't fall off. This time there is no miraculous deliverance. This time there is no manifestation of the power of God in that particular way. And it was easy to ask the question, what went wrong? And to lament Paul's imprisonment and to just lose heart in the fact that here is Paul. He is in prison. He is rejoicing. And God has still not released him. What has gone wrong? Where is this sovereign God that we pray to? Why isn't God at work? Well, Paul writes to the Philippians to say, God is at work. And though he is bound, the word is not bound. And though he is not released, yet the gospel is going forward. Right from the start, I think there's a tremendous lesson for us to learn. And that is that God does not always work in the same way. God does not always achieve his will through the same process. We have a tendency to think that just because God worked at a certain time in a certain way, then that God is always going to work in the same way in this time. When in reality, God works in many different ways. That's an important lesson to learn in the life of the church we think sometimes there are certain programs that God is going to use. There are certain things that he won't use. Well, there are times he uses them and times he doesn't. And times he uses other things and times he doesn't. We can't just say, well, we always did it that way. Or we tried that and it didn't work. But need to recognize that a sovereign God works in different ways in different times to achieve his purpose. And if we don't understand that, we can soon get discouraged and throw up our hands and say, where is God? So Paul is revealing God to the Philippians, in particular, the fact that God is at work, and the imprisonment is not hindering the gospel, but actually spreading the gospel. Well, how can that be? Paul gives us three ways. First, Paul's imprisonment actually served to further the gospel because his imprisonment authenticated or validated his message. Corollary, hardship and difficulty can actually serve to further the gospel because it authenticates to others our commitment to and belief in the gospel. Paul had been imprisoned as a result of preaching the gospel. It was not merely the fact that he was a prisoner, but the reason that he was a prisoner which furthered the gospel. Notice verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for the cause of Christ. That news had spread that Paul's imprisonment was for the cause of Christ. Since Paul was imprisoned for preaching the gospel, his imprisonment enhanced rather than discredited his testimony. Because Paul was in prison, 
for preaching the gospel, it demonstrated the reality of his faith. That he wasn't going to be silenced by threat of imprisonment. And he wasn't going to be released by recanting his commitment to the gospel. Everyone knew that he was in prison because he was preaching the gospel, which demonstrated, again, his reality, his authenticity, his commitment to that gospel that he was preaching. When we continue to serve God in the midst of adversity and hardship, it authenticates our commitment to the gospel. In 1 Peter it says this, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. There is no testimony in being thrown into prison for stealing. There is no testimony for being thrown into prison for murder. But if the reason you are in prison is for preaching the gospel, then the gospel is adorned. It is seen as a beautiful thing. When our lives prove consistent in times of tragedy with what we have taught and professed, it is a powerful witness to the grace of God. Just think of the life of Job. Think of all that he went through, all the tragedy, all the hardship, all the difficulty, all to demonstrate that no matter what would be brought into the life of Job, he would not curse God and die. That was the big question. Does Job serve God for nothing? Satan said he did. God said he didn't. And so Satan threw all these hardships at Job, and yet he continued to praise God, and he continued to worship. It was an authentication of Job's life and witness. So for Paul, it was, it was powerful. Everyone knew that he was in prison for the cause of Christ. Secondly, Paul's imprisonment served to spread the gospel because it enabled Paul to share his testimony with those whom he would not have ordinarily come in contact. Paul was able to share the gospel with those whom he would not otherwise have been able to reach. Paul speaks of two groups in this passage. The first is the fact that Paul was able to reach those who were guarding him. Notice Philippians 1.13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. His imprisonment, the gospel, has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. The NAS translates this, the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard was the elite soldiers of the Roman Empire. Uh, Stephen Nichols, in his book, uh, Time of Confidence, which just happens to be on the library book table, you can read it, it's a great book, 
uh, time of confidence in a postmodern world, says this about uh, the guards that Paul was under. I quote, These were the elite forces of the Roman army, the train of the trained. These were the Green Berets, the Army Rangers, the Navy SEALs of their day. The Praetorian Guard was originally established as the Praetorian detail for the Caesars. Over time, their work expanded to including guarding court officials, senators, and Roman officials stationed across the empire. Over the centuries, the Praetorian Guard accumulated significant power and wealth. They rose to such power by the first century that even the Caesars feared them. The Praetorian Guard had the wealth, the immense number of troops, and clearly the skills to launch a coup if they so desired. This group of individuals, Paul had the opportunity to minister to. While Paul was a prisoner in Rome, he was constantly guarded during his house arrest. And now I quote again from Stephen Nichols. During the decades of the writing of the New Testament and during the centuries of persecution experienced by the early church, the Praetorian Guard would arrest and guard Christians. Now in Rome in A.D. 62, Paul was evangelizing them. Paul informs us that his imprisonment has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. The guards were talking about Paul. They would be guarding him, and then they would get reassigned. On their new assignment, they would tell their colleagues about their very peculiar prisoner. The word spread, the gospel spread, end quote. These individuals would never have darkened the door of a synagogue. These individuals would never have taken any time to listen to an Apostle Paul be preaching the Word of God. They had no time for such things. But here were these elite guards that actually would be protectors of Caesar himself. They would be assigned to Paul and would hear him speaking to those that came to see him and would listen to Paul's explanation of why he was in prison for the cause of Christ. There would be a direct witness and there would be an indirect witness. The Philippians should understand, if any group did, how that God can use the gospel to save the guard that was associated with Paul's imprisonment. The Philippian guard himself was saved through Paul's ministry while he was in prison. The difference was that for the Philippian guard, Paul was released. In this particular instance, Paul is not released. But that doesn't mean that the gospel is ineffective. It was still greatly used of God. In fact, you have the salutation at the end of this book that's easy to overlook. But listen to these words. Philippians 4.21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The saints 
of Caesar's household greet you? How did people that were associated, slaves and guards of Caesar's household, come to have faith in Christ? Answer, it's these imperial guards that are watching over, guarding Paul, hearing Paul's witness and the gospel, and placing faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel is not hindered. The gospel has not been overcome. The gospel has not been thwarted. Just because the chains have not fallen off doesn't mean that God isn't at work. That's an important lesson for us all to keep in mind in the period and time in which we live. God is at work. And his gospel is being spread. And people are coming to faith. One of the things that we need to keep in mind in the times of our own hardship and difficulty, our own trials and tribulations, is the fact that God is working through these trials and tribulations to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Philippians 1.13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and then to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Then he just, he just blocks everyone else into one group. While Paul was in prison, he was able to minister to a great many people. In Acts chapter 20, verses, uh, excuse me, Acts 28, verses 30 to 31, it says this. And he, that is Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, that was his imprisonment, and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all, un, with all openness unhindered. While Paul was in prison, he could receive visitors. We are told in Acts he received Jewish leaders. They came to talk with Paul. All the time that he is explaining the gospel to these Jewish leaders, this imperial guard is sitting by him, guarding him, and no one is saying to Paul, Paul, you can't talk about these things. Paul, you need to shut up. Paul, the reason you're in prison is because of the gospel. Therefore, you cannot preach the gospel. But no one said that to him. No one sought to quiet him. No one sought to silence him. In fact, they listened in rapt attention along with the Jewish leaders that came to hear from Paul. That is a work of God. That is the grace of God. That is the power of God. And so he writes to the Philippians, don't think that the gospel is being hindered. It is spreading. Hardship and difficulty are often used to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the uh, Corinthians that we are to comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. The uh, 
blessings, the truths that we learn through hardship and difficulty, we can pass on to others that are in that same circumstance, that same hardship, that same difficulty. As uh, you go through physical suffering, and uh, God has ministered to you, God has taught you great truths, through that, you have the opportunity to speak to others. As many of you know, I had a heart attack when I was only in my early 20s. I remember laying on a hospital bed and wondering at that time, had I really done enough to be saved? And as I laid there, I knew the gospel. I knew that it wasn't by works that we were saved. I knew that it's solely by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but I had to work through that in my mind once again. I had to convince myself that the gospel is true. And it is true. But you know, I, I never ever give people a hard time that doubt their salvation. I never think that if somebody's laying in a hospital bed that they shouldn't have fears or, or be discomforted. Why? Because I've been there. I know what it's like. I know when a doctor says to you that you probably won't live the night. That's a great blessing. It may not seem like it at the time, but I tell you, it's a great blessing. And have that opportunity then to share with others the things that you have learned through that hardship, through that difficulty. And there are people that you can't reach otherwise. You know, people come into the hospital room and, and visit you. And nurses are overhearing conversations. A doctor may be standing by. You have an opportunity to say to that doctor, you know, there's loads of people that are praying for me. You know, I'm praying for this healing. And then you come through that surgery and you have that opportunity to say to that doctor, doctor, I appreciate all that you've done. I appreciate your, your expertise. Thank you for your dedication. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for your skill. I appreciate all that you've done. And I'm so grateful for what you have done, but I know the great physician is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful, not only to you, but to God, for the success of the surgery. You have the opportunity to tell your children, your friends, of what God is doing in your life. And you have the opportunity to speak to people that otherwise you may never, ever rub shoulders with. Never lose sight of what God is doing even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. Third, Paul's imprisonment actually served to spread the gospel because as a result, many more people are now preaching the gospel. Corollary, through the faithful testimony of individuals as they endure life's tragedies, other people are encouraged and given opportunities to share the gospel as well. We find out in this text that there were people who were spreading the gospel because they were encouraged as they saw Paul's response to his imprisonment. Notice verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. As brothers would visit the Apostle Paul and hear him rejoice and hear him give thanks, 
and realized that he was not conquered in his spirit, but rather that he was confident in the work of Jesus Christ and could say, as we're going to see next week, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. When they came into the presence of the Apostle Paul, it says that many of the brothers got stronger. They were less fearful. They could tangibly see the grace of God at work in an individual that was in prison. And as Paul spoke, not of his own strength, not of his own fortitude, not of his own courage, but rather as Paul gave testimony to the grace of God, they realized that that same grace can be received for themselves. And they prayed and they asked God to embolden them. And as a result, while the Roman government was seeking to intimidate the believers, Paul's imprisonment was actually strengthening the believers. They found out they had less to be afraid of. Which later in the book of Philippians, Paul is going to say is a testimony to their own destruction. A realization of their own weakness uh, that they can't stamp out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to hear of the testimony of saints who have died for their faith. And yet God has been at work. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, filled with examples of people that, yes, even sang as they were burned to death at the stake. That God gave them such grace. I know one of the characters that Pastor Dave is going to be looking at is Lady Jane Grey. A 16-year-old uh, Queen of England, who died and died in such a powerful testimony and witness, only 16 years of age. But boy, how she could speak forth the truth of the Word of God. How inspiring that is. And there are many, many individuals that we could look to and see how God has used. Corey Tenboom, and on and on and on go the examples. And while it's great to read a book, and while it's wonderful to understand through the annals of time how God is used, but if you have somebody in your own life, an aunt, an uncle, a mom, a dad, a sister, or a brother, who is a living example of the way to handle tragedy, the way to handle distress, the way to look at death and be able to welcome it, knowing that it's going to be entrance into the presence of God. To be surrounded like people like that is emboldening. It is enriching. It is encouraging. And bolsters us all to now continue to share that good news of the gospel that we have placed our faith in. It takes on a reality. And authenticity, if you will. So Paul says, this has happened to the furtherance of the gospel. And then remarkably, he says this. There were people who were spreading the gospel, trying to compete against Paul. 
They were trying to steal his place of authority. Notice verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Envy and rivalry. Some people were preaching Christ and they were jealous of Paul and they were trying to compete with Paul. In the book of Corinthians, he, refer, he refers to those people that are false apostles, that, that want to rule over the people and uh, see Paul as a, a ruler and they would like to rule in the way that he did. They were jealous of the crowds. They were jealous of the, of the position he had. And now, Paul's in prison. And they see it as a, an opportunity to advance themselves. Here's an opportunity to get ahead. Paul's laid up. We're free. We can get a group of people. And we can preach Christ. And we can develop a following. Now, obviously, that was false. Obviously, that's not good. Obviously, that's not what we want, but notice what he says about that. Verse, go back to verse 15 to give you the context. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to add affliction to me in my imprisonment. They were hoping that Paul would be feeling discouraged, unloved, unneeded. But the reality is, Paul says, that they were preaching Christ. They were preaching Christ. And he says, in verse 18, What then, only then in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He's rejoicing. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice is the most common word in Philippians. Almost in every section, Paul is talking about reasons to rejoice. He's coming to that. Paul says, I'm rejoicing that the gospel is spreading whether by false pretext or by true uh, commitment, nonetheless, the gospel is going forth and I rejoice. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6, these words, But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. Paul says, when I, I go through these difficulties, he says, I know. It's for your comfort and your salvation. Think about it. Illnesses. Marital problems. Financial struggles. Difficulties with our children. All of these situations. Loss of job. A house burning down. The realities of life that we all know. In every one of those situations, it provides an opportunity to demonstrate the reality of our faith, to speak to others of what God is able to do and what God is doing, to point out that God is at work 
and there are reasons to rejoice. And with that in mind, the gospel goes forth in power. Conclusion. We need to view the tragedies of life as a means of furthering the gospel, to see it as an opportunity, to recognize that the evil one has not gotten the victory, but this is one more occasion in which we can speak of the grace of God and the forgiveness that we enjoy through the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give us that perspective. Paul writes to the Philippians to impart that perspective, and it's the main thought of this particular section. So may we gain that perspective on life. May we see whatever it is that we are facing as an opportunity to authenticate and spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we understand that the hardships and difficulties bring us into relationship with people that otherwise we would never come in contact. Just think, the people that are coming into your life because of the hardship, the tragedy. Think of the hospital stay. We've talked about doctors, talked about nurses. Think about the person in the bed next to you. 90 chances out of 100, you have never seen that person before. Never had any conversation with that person. You know nothing about them. People are coming into your room, family and loved ones. You're talking about the Lord. People are praying with you. Pastor Heller comes in. He reads scripture. He prays. All the time, this person is sitting there and listening and hearing things that otherwise they would never hear. Rejoice in the people that are coming into your life through this experience. And use it to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through the faithful testimony of yourself and others. Next, we must realize that in life situation, God does not always work in the same way. In this particular instance, the chains didn't fall off. Eventually, Paul's going to be released. But it's going to be over a period of time, and it's not going to be in a miraculous way. It's different. It's different. You know, God works in different ways. Sometimes he raises people up, and they are healed. Some people die of their disease. Some people get better for a short period of time. And then succumb to the same disease all over again. There is no unifying factor or way in which God works. It's great when people are healed and we can give praise to the glory of God and talk about the answer to prayer. But it's equally as great. Let me say that again. It is equally as great. When in the sovereign will of God, he chooses not to heal, but gives to people that grace and that confidence to die well, meaning to die in faith, to die in confidence, to die in knowing that when they close their eyes, they are going to be in the presence of God. And they are assured 
of his protection and love and pray for their children. And sometimes, yes, sometimes, even children come to faith as they see their dying mother or father in that particular situation. I could give you firsthand knowledge of people that I know that have come into faith because of the way that their parents have died. That is no less a miracle. That is no less a working of the Spirit of God. Don't put God in a box as to how he works. And he must work in this way if the gospel is going to be empowered. No, no, God works in many, many different ways. But he's still at work. He's still at work. The next time you're tempted to say, Lord, why has this happened to me? May one of our responses be to further the gospel of Christ. So I say to you this morning, don't waste your suffering. Let me say that again. Don't waste your suffering. Let your suffering count for something. Let your suffering be used of God. Take that suffering and turn it over to God. And say, God, give me grace. Bring me closer to you through this. Teach me what you would desire to teach me. And use this to glorify yourself. May people see in the way in which you give me grace that you are faithful, that you are loving, that you are powerful, you are real. And may people come to faith. Let's pray. And uh, I also uh, wanted to pray. I think I forgot to pray for Sue and Corbett. Did, did I pray for you in my morning prayer? No, okay. Uh, I meant to, and uh, uh, Sue and Corbett are being married this weekend. So I want to be praying for them as they start their uh, new life together. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are thankful for the word of God and the truth that you revealed to us. Lord, it, it's hard to welcome suffering. Lord, it's, it's, it's hard to receive the bad news that is bad news for all of us. None of us want to hear about cancer or life-threatening diseases or misery or heartache. None of us welcomes that news. But I, I pray, Lord, that in the midst of that news that you would give us a perspective. First, that it doesn't mean that you don't love us. That it doesn't mean that you have cast us aside, that you have forsaken us. Lord, the suffering that is in the world also comes upon us. May we understand that. May we be ready for it. May we not be deceived by it or overtaken. But Lord, help us 
to turn to you in the midst of our suffering, knowing that you do love us. And there are times that the chains fall off. And we are grateful in those days. Thank you in those opportunities that you decide to free us, that you decide to heal us, that you decide to raise us up, that you decide to restore us. And we give you much praise, and there are many examples, and, and Lord, we just acknowledge that you are a sovereign God and there is nothing beyond your control. You are the great healer, you are the great physician. Uh, Lord, there is no situation that is outside of your control or your ability to overcome or empower. At the same time, Lord, we know that it's not always your will that we are raised up. In fact, there is a time that every one of us is going to die unless the Lord Jesus returns first. While you may heal us on a number of occasions, at some point we're going to enter your presence. And I pray that in that process, if it doesn't happen in the instantaneous moment, if it doesn't happen just with a snap of the fingers, if, if there is awareness, if there is a diagnosis, if there is a consciousness that this is going to happen in the near future, Lord, give us grace at that time to lift up your name. To speak of the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. To let our children, loved ones know that we are certain that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lord, may there not be a facade. May we not put on an attitude that is not present. But Lord, in real authenticity, may the grace that you give shine forth. May we be honest about the struggles and rejoice in the victories. And O oh Lord, may you be pleased to use us in the times of our hardship and difficulty to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ if nothing else, than to authenticate our faith, to demonstrate the reality of it, that we are not just Christians in good times, but we're Christians in bad times. It's not just when our bank accounts are full, but it's when we don't know where our next meal is coming from. It's not just when we're in good health. Lord, it's in times of tragedy. We understand that. We thank you for Jack and Judy this morning, their testimony. And there are many that we could point out in our congregation who have that same enduring testimony and have died so well to your glory. Not that we're saying that Jack is going to die this morning. But Lord, teach us, teach us. We thank you for Sue and for Corbett. We pray for their marriage. Uh, we pray that as they look to you, as they seek to found it upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, you'd bless them and their ministry and their witness. Lord, take our highs and our lows. Sovereignly do your will. May your name be praised. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.